Good afternoon, short-term shoppers. You are now in the short-term show special episode series on the Western North Carolina mountains. So this is everywhere from Asheville all the way down to Bryson City, basically that entire southwestern corner of the state. We're going to be doing a deep dive, 10 episodes worth of content on investing in this part of North Carolina. Now, we do have some supplemental materials for you over on our website, things like purchase prices of investment properties in this market, as well as the AirDNA income data. Thank you, friends over at AirDNA. So if you guys want to know uh, what all of these properties cost, you know, the different purchase prices, you can see that on the shorttermshop.com, as well as the income data. You can find that there too. If you guys want to buy an investment property in Western North Carolina with a short-term shop agent, email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will get you hooked up. Or if you just have more questions, you want to come hang out with us some more. We've got a great Facebook group with a wonderful community of investors over at short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book. And if you guys want to chat with us live anytime, we've got a call every Thursday and you can join that at strquestions.com. We look forward to seeing you over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show special episode series on the Western North Carolina mountains, just uh, between Asheville and Bryson City is the area that we're calling it, a bunch of little places in between there. And today we're talking about building your team. So that's for everyone from even before you get under contract to the people that you need to take care of your property and help manage it. So uh, we are going to start by introducing everyone on our panel today. First, we have this first time Gina has been on these episodes. We have Gina Maddox. Gina, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Hi, I'm Gina. I've been on the short term uh, with the short term group. For about three years now and uh, have a few rentals myself and that's about it. Gina is really, really downplaying her uh, accolades <laughs> here. Gina has been one of our top agents for a very long time. I think she might've been our top agent last year uh, on the whole team. So she's not going to say that. So I will. And uh, <laughs> and uh, next we have our resident Viking. Jay, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, yes, I'm Jay Lawrence. I am the short-term shops agent out here in awesome Western North Carolina and uh, looking to help you out out here. And last but not least, we have our VP of sales, Julie. Julie, you want to introduce yourself? You yeah. are on mute. <laughs> yeah, I'm on mute. I'm Julie McCoy. Great to be here again. Um, yeah, I'm VP of sales at Short Term Shop. I'm an agent in the Tennessee Smokies, but have spent a lot of time in Western North Carolina and uh, looking forward to helping you understand our topic today. All right. So this topic is pretty basic, but it's definitely one that I think people overlook a lot or they don't realize that uh, not all vendors are created equal. So first, we're going to kind of start at the beginning of the buying process and move through the different vendors that you're going to need slash encounter during your process. So we're going to start first with real estate agents. So Julie, how do you go about finding uh, an agent that is going to best represent you in the short-term rental space? Yeah. When I started looking for short-term rentals back in 2017, my criteria was essentially I wanted an agent who understood that particular space. Um, ideally an agent who also invested in that space. And so had you know good familiarity of 
you know, not only purchasing, but also the ongoing management and that possibly able to help me with, you know, building, a, you know, building a team of the professionals that we're going to continue to talk about, you know, for my ongoing success as a short-term rental manager. So yeah, my first agent was not Avery. I bought my first place out in California, found a wonderful agent out there um, by looking at that criteria. I had picked a market I looked at different agents and like just their, you know, their websites and, you know, profiles to see who might be the best fit, made a selection. She was awesome. And, um, and then after that, I moved to a different market and met Avery and it was very much the same criteria. It's worked out great for me. And I think it will for you too. So there's a couple of points that I want to make on this. So a lot of people, everybody knows a real estate agent, like everybody. And there's a difference in what I would call, you know, someone who specializes in an asset class or a specific type of purchase and what I would call an Aunt Susie agent. So everybody knows an Aunt Susie agent. She's probably been in the game like 25 years and she's got no problem telling you that, but she might only sell three or four houses a year. And the reason that that might not be the best person for you just because you know them is the really having their finger on the pulse of that asset class. So I've told this story in other podcasts, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, I used to have an office in Nashville and Nashville has some really crazy regulations for short-term rentals. And on a weekly basis back then, I would get a phone call from a random investor who would say, Hey, I heard you're the person to talk to about short-term rentals. I found this awesome house. It's historic. It's going to look super cool. It's going to make a great short-term rental. And they'd send it to me and say, I'm ready to offer full price on it. Let's go. I got to have this. Now, an Aunt Susie agent would probably just make that offer and say, all right, great, we're off to the races. But a lot of times they would send me these properties and I'd be like, man, have you looked at the short-term rental regulations like literally at all because this is not allowed in this area? And they'd be like, oh man, no, I didn't know there was any kind of regulation. And so if you're calling an Aunt Susie agent, you best case scenario, find out during your inspection period that you can't short-term rent that house. Worst case scenario, you find out after you've already closed and there's not really anything you can do about it at that point. So that's why you want to make sure that you are using an agent who does deals in the asset class and market that you're buying in often. And another one that I want to hit on uh, is what I call a COVID license. So uh, a lot of real estate agents were born in COVID. And I did not make up the word COVID license. I ripped that off from somebody else, but I can't remember who at the moment. So um, just know I'm giving credit to someone for ripping it off. Uh, But it's true. So a ton of people got licensed specifically in the short-term rental space in 2020 and 2021. A lot of people don't live in the market that they're trying to sell in. They don't even have access to the right MLS. They are trying to sell short-term rentals in a hot short-term rental market from across the country. So this would it would seem that this would be obvious, but make sure that you know, whatever agent you're using lives near enough to the market that they're operating in to at least, you know, be able to do showings and things like that. And also make sure they're a member of the right MLS. I see that all the time, like all the time. Um, so there's different MLSs for different areas. And sometimes agents will, you know, maybe they live in another part of the state eight hours away and they don't have access to the MLS that they need in the place that you're buying. And then they have a hard time getting you getting you properties. So Julie wants to circle back to Aunt Susie for a minute. Yeah, I just wanted to make the point that it's not that, you know, the Aunt Susie agents are unethical in any way or would be concealing this information. They just don't know the right answers or the right thing, you know, the right questions to ask for such a specific asset class. 
So that's where the experience and education of the agent really comes in, uh, you know, in a really important way. So I just wanted to clarify that one point. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just about lack of knowledge and experience more than anything else. Right. And they, an aunt Susie might be the exact right person to help you find your next primary house. But when we're talking about investments and short-term rentals, you want to make sure that they've, that they're really plugged into that asset class. Like you, if you should not call me to get you a 50 unit apartment building, because I've never done a 50 unit apartment deal outside of what I bought for myself. And I would not be the best person to represent you on that. So same thing. Um, make sure that you are using an agent who does the type of deals in the market you want to buy in often. Um, what are some, what do you think are some questions you should be asking a potential agent to kind of vet them and find that they will be the right person to work for you? Sorry for the vocal fry right there. I was aware of it. (laughs) I, I would actually, I mean, when you're interviewing them, you know, test what their knowledge of the market is, what the amenities are in the area, what makes those areas special. And if they just shoot back a ton of useful information to you, I mean, that's helpful that you you know that they know their area. Um, It's just like, for example, like if, if, you know, Canton just shut down their paper mill and here in Canton, like if, you know, your, your agent's not near there, they're not going to know that. So like, you know, that's something local that you, you know, you can, throwback. So, which by the way, why does the paper mill being shut down matter to short-term rental? <laughs> paper mill stinks. They stink. They, <laughs> they, they sm- smell really bad. I have soapboxes about the Canton paper, paper mill. So that's a really hot tip y'all. <laughs> now, in my opinion, at least that area became much more viable for short-term rental just because of that. Yeah. It, it's like going on a road trip with your dad. And you drive past. So the the, the point on that one is, is now Canton is not going to stink, which is going to open up, you know, it's it's a nice place. It's conveniently located. So it's going to open up, you know, more opportunities, you know, and that smell is not going to put your guests off. So, but my point is, is I know that and, you know, like (laughs) as my business to know that, and you need to find an agent that knows the area really well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and even though I don't like the question, um, you know, how many have you sold in the area? You know, how many short-term rentals have you sold compared to long-term rentals? Things like that. But that's one of the questions I hate, but it's it's a very important question. Um, and then how close you live to the area for sure. Um, driving around, we get to see these properties on a daily basis, just going to the grocery store. You know, we drive by these properties. So Anybody that reaches out to me and they ask me, you know, maybe they have a, a couple on their mind whenever they first come on and, and have our client meeting. Um, you know, I can tell them like that road, you know, it's got a lot of residentials on it. There's a bad trailer you drive by. There's so much information, you know, just by being in the area and have, you know, there's a lot of cabins that we were inside three years ago video and, and I can pull up to a client and be like, Oh, I have a video from three years ago. They haven't changed much, but here it is. And you can kind of at least get the feel of the area and the cabin the way it was then. Um, or you've been in, you know, some of these residential or these resort cabins, you've been in the exact floor plan of the same cabin, you know, right next door that you can you can tell them about um, or anything like that really, really helps. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about some, or there before we move on, any other questions you think we should be asking agents? Um, I might have one if nobody else has one. Well, the only thing I'm going to say is as an agent who has sold a lot, I do not know the answer to Gina's question. How many have I sold? I don't know. I would have to look it up. 
Um, so if somebody doesn't have an exact number to give you, then don't sweat it. Um, get, you know, talk to them. You'll be able to gauge their level of experience. You know, something I'd be like, well, I can look that up and get back to you, but I can't tell you off the top of my head. I have better things to do. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a roundabout number anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, it's different compared to, oh, I sold five last year. Then, you know, you know, if you sell more than five. Absolutely. Totally. So another, another thing that I want to be, I want to make people aware of is referrals and referral fees. So what a lot of people don't know about being a real estate agent is that, so if I say I'm licensed in Texas and I only sell houses in Texas and Julie's licensed in Tennessee, and I have a client from Texas that says, Hey, you know, I want to buy a house in Tennessee. Do you know any good agents? I would send them to Julie and Julie, it's customary for Julie to pay me a 25% referral fee off out of her commission on that because she would not have had that client without me. So that's, you know, all well and good makes a lot of sense. Uh, But what has happened over the course of the past few years is real estate agents trying to build passive income off of each other and having people in what's called referral groups. So guys, just like there are a lot of short-term rental investor groups out there on Facebook, there are a lot of real estate agent groups. And now there's what what's called referral groups where you pay to join a big group of real estate agents. And what you do is you all go join all of these Facebook groups. And anytime anybody asks for a real estate agent in a certain state or market, you all jump in and spam everybody and recommend that one agent that's in your group so that when somebody starts asking for a real estate agent in your neck of the woods, everybody jumps on and spams because it's all making money back for the group that we're, that you're in. Um, that's pretty a pretty new thing as of the past few years, but you want to be mindful of that stuff. And agents are not going to like it if you say, hey, are you getting a referral for this? Uh, another way that it's done, especially in this asset class, is gurus and people with courses will get a real estate license so that they can then just mass refer people to people. And which you think when on the surface, it's not that big of a deal. And like, well, hey, what's so bad about that? Nothing's bad about it, but it can you can get to a point with these things where the best person to represent you and the person who's willing to pay a a bunch of referral fees are not the same people. Um, So I've had a situation before where I was interested in buying in a market and I asked a, somebody who had like a, a real estate investing, like short-term rental course who owned in this market. I said, Hey, I'm kind of interested in buying in that market. Can you hook me up with your agent? I don't know anybody there. And she said, yeah, I'll hook you up. So I went to work with this agent and this agent was like, kind of didn't really know as much as I expected. And so I went back and I was like to this, this influencer, I was like, Hey, um, are you sure? Was this your agent on this? Cause like, she, there's some things she's not understanding or doesn't really know the answer to like, do you know the answer to this? And she was like, Oh yeah, well, you know, my agent doesn't take referrals. So Um, I didn't send you to them, but she'll take care of you. So I didn't, that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth because I'm like, well, I don't know anything about this market. I want somebody who knows what they're doing. Turns out it was this poor girl's, it would have been her first sale. So uh, just keep in mind, it's okay to ask if they're getting a referral fee for that. And just know you can make your own decisions about that. But the person willing to pay referral fees is not always the person who is the most experienced or best equipped to help you with your purchase. Um, other red flags, I think, and this would be with any, any vendor, whether it's a real estate agent or whether it's a loan officer or whoever is talking crap about their competitors. 
So um, I recently experienced this when I'm working on building a house and I had a contractor come take a look. I'd introduced him to our architect and introduced him to a couple other people. And we were looking at this builder because he's building a house down the street from ours that I really like and thought, man, well, this will this should work great because that's exactly the kind of house that I want. And he came over. He did nothing but talk crap about everybody. He talked crap about my architect. He talked crap about the client whose house he was building uh, that I liked. He talked crap about their architect. And just to the point where I was like, man, I don't want this guy going around and talking about me <laughs> to everybody. So, you know, if they'll talk crap about you and tell you other people's business, they will do the same to you. So I think that's my only other red flag, unless anybody has anything else. That's absolutely true. And I've kind of built my team around being humble. So like, just be humble. Um. All right. So let's talk about lenders. How do we find the best lender for buying a property in North Carolina? Well, I have a, you know, I have a list of <laughs> vendors that I, or um, lenders that I like to use, you know, of course, mortgage shop, they're great. And um you know, your agent should by this time have a lot of lenders that they've worked with. It goes back kind of Gina's question, how many houses you sold? So you've worked with a lot of lenders. So you know who's good and who's not. And you have a list that you can, uh, you know, provide to your clients, you know, and just kind of break down what they're looking for and set them up with it that way. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's your choice on lender, but we can guide you and, you know, say, hey, I've had a good relationship with this lender. Yeah. And I think having a lender who understands that local market, especially when you're working in short-term rentals, there are some particulars, you know, even if you're getting a conventional loan, there are some particulars that are important for the lender to know and be familiar with in order to have a smooth transaction. So being able to work with somebody who is knowledgeable in the the local market and uh, has done a lot of short-term rental transactions before is really, really, really important. Um, Can it be done without that? Sure, it can, but I think you're going to have a smoother process, you know, by working with somebody who is local and knowledgeable with short-term rentals. Yeah. And also like, you know, if you're at that cap or you're, you know, you're, you've got a lot of properties, you you need to find that right lender that'll be able to creatively lend for you too as well. So, yeah. So it kind of goes back to the, how to find an agent thing. You know, maybe you're going into the local Facebook groups or real estate investor, short-term rental investor, Facebook groups, whether they're local or nationwide and just saying, Hey, does anybody have a recommendation for this vendor in this market, whether it's an agent or a um, lender? And the questions you want to ask are, are typically the same, like, Hey, how many, do you work in this market often? Like how many deals did you do there last year? Cause lenders are a little bit different because they can work from anywhere. They're not as local as uh, real estate agents in a lot of cases, because sometimes it will be a national lender that can get your deal done and, and sometimes not. But anyway, you want to ask these people wherever they are, Hey, have you done deals in this market before? Have you done short-term rental deals in this market before? And make sure that they're familiar because different markets can have different nuances uh, with like true log cabins, sometimes big like national online lenders get tripped up with. There are certain things and nuances that you you want to make sure that they're equipped to handle. So again, I like to see a lender that has done multiple deals of the asset class that I'm trying to buy in, in the market that I'm trying to buy in, in the past year or two. Uh, and then of course, you know, you have all your questions about interest rates and points and and all those fun things. Um, but we've got a, we've got a whole separate um, episode on lending. So we don't have to get too far in the weeds on that, but you guys have anything to add to that? Yeah. And, and, you know, 
shop around. Don't just take the first one that comes your way. I mean, you know, interview them, see what they can do for you and choose the best out of three. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I agree with that. Like, don't, you know, don't take them all, you know, three quarters of the way through a contract before you make a choice, but, uh, you know, feel free to speak with several lenders and figure out who's going to be the best fit for you. Um, you know, ideally before you get under contract, but in either, in either case, you know, have your final decision ready, you know, shortly after getting under contract at the latest is what I would recommend. Yeah. And you'll need that pre-approval too, when we submit offers. So, you know, the sooner the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's a little bit of a chicken or the egg situation, Mm -hmm. realtor first or lender first. Um, There's no wrong answer there. And uh, yeah, but a pre-approval is mandatory before making offers in most markets. And when you're shopping for a lender, you want to make sure that you are giving them all of the information that they need up front so that there are no surprises when it gets close to closing. So if your down payment's coming from a HELOC or from some other transaction, like you're closing a 1031 exchange, so you're, you're selling one property to buy another one, or if it's contingent on anything. So maybe you're selling a property um, and you have to have those funds. That one has to close. Maybe it's not a 1031, which I don't know why it wouldn't be, but just for the sake of example, um, if you have to use the funds from that closing to close this one, everybody needs to know that upfront. I've seen people get in some bad situations and lose their earnest money, sometimes a lot of earnest money because they didn't tell anybody, oh yeah, these funds were coming from a HELOC and then that HELOC didn't work or it was in the wrong person's name or something. And now we can't use that money for our down payment. They need to know that upfront so they can have their contingency plans in place because nothing is worse than having a big hiccup at the end of a deal when you're out of contingencies. So there's no way you're getting your earnest money back. Um, it's definitely like not a situation you want to get into. So make sure as you're interviewing them that you're disclosing any possible detail, both inside the transaction and outside the transaction that could affect this transaction. Yeah. And to compound on that further, I just, I just recently did a 1031 where we went under contract and then the lender would not work with the 1031 going on right there. So we had to switch lenders mid contract to, to get it to work. So they just make sure that that's going to work when you, uh, when you talk to your lender too. just disclose, like Avery was saying, just tell everybody. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Was it because they were using a second home loan? Um, no, this one had to do with the verbiage on like the trust. So it was uh, a trust okay. issue mostly, but you know, it's something we could have, Hey, if we just, asked at the beginning, you know. That makes sense. Well, speaking of trusts, now we're getting into the attorney realm. So North Carolina being an attorney state, who chooses the closing attorney, buyer or seller? That's going, well, it's both sides. I mean, you, the buyer does choose an attorney. So you're going to need a closing attorney. And I, you know, I'll, I have my recommendations of some rock star attorneys up here, which is another reason why you need a good agent with a good team behind them. Um, but a lot of times that attorney will send an engagement letter to the seller and try to just close both sides. But the seller and the buyer are 100% free to choose their own closing attorney. Since we don't use title companies up here, the attorney does the title work and stuff through the title company. So we just use an attorney. Um, but yeah, it's you, you're free to pick whoever you want. And how like do you your lender. find that? How do you find a title attorney? Um, I mean, a Google search for real estate attorneys always pops up some <laughs> stuff, but... <laughs> you know, again, that's where having a good agent to, to tell you where the good 
you know, the, the ones to use and the ones to stay away from, you know, that, you know, I, you know, we don't talk crap, but, uh, you know, there's definitely ones that I've worked with that I don't, you know, that I know it's not going to be a fit for my clients. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Facebook groups too, and, you know, just people that have closed properties out there, it's always good to just say, Hey, does anybody have a recommendation for a good closing attorney, you know, or ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> But it's always good when your agent is giving you recommendations that you call all these people and talk to them and make sure that they're going to be a fit for you. Don't just say, oh, yeah, we'll just use whoever you schedule it. Uh, You're always calling the vendors and vetting them yourself from any recommendation, whether it's from your agent or a Facebook group or or what have you. Um, So next, we we figured out who our agent's going to be. We've got our pre-approval. Um, and we're about to make an offer. Our agent has recommended a great title attorney and we've called them and we get along with them. Great. And we decided we're going to use them. We make our offer and it's time to get a home inspection. So where do we find a good home inspector? Yeah. You know, the same, <laughs> same avenues, you know, recommendations stuff also with your agent, um, you know, really, I mean, just, you can search online you know there's a lot of uh you know online when you list them you know it'll have ratings and stuff but i would definitely call you know the top three or the top five home inspectors you know again your agent's going to have recommendations of some people that they've worked with that they like but uh yeah it's up to you to call them because you know your home inspection is very important and um you know north carolina since we're in the mountains, it's not only the home inspection, we got the radon inspector, the the septic and well inspector, you know, there's, because we have a lot of septic and wells up here. So you're going to want to get that for sure if, you, if you're on that, but, you know, word of mouth or, you know, a lot of our businesses word of mouth too. So I, th- I would say it's more common than not for a home inspector to not have like a great, wonderful website uh, that's prominent on Google. So All recommendations, though, again, you're calling and vetting them yourself uh, because it's your job and you want to make sure you understand what is being inspected and what additional inspectors you might need to hire. Don't just say to your agent, oh, yeah, whatever inspector you like, just call and schedule them. You are always calling all of them and vetting them and choosing them. Julie, do you have something to add? I didn't. And then it left my head. Oh, well, I do think actually understanding what the inspector is looking at and kind of the role of the inspector, their job is to, you know, go through the property and examine it to the best of their ability um, and tell you everything that they can see is wrong with it, essentially. But you should also understand, you know, the areas where they are not experts or areas where they may not be able to access, you know, for example, if there's you know, if there's a plumbing leak that's between two walls and there's no way to, you know, see it outside of those walls without getting into the wall, like they aren't going to see that. Um, it's not an, you know, exhaustive foolproof mechanism to ensure there's no issues or every single issue gets identified. Um, so have a conversation with them, like what, you know, are there things that you're a specialist in? Probably not. It's probably more general, but, you know, if you have a particular question about like, Hey, I'm concerned about, you know, erosion in this particular area or, you know, the foundation or the deck or the whatever, like have those conversations and just say, Hey, can you pay extra attention to this? I'm concerned about this thing. Um, and understand where their role starts and stops. Um, the other part is when you get the inspection report back, 
if you've got questions about like, Hey, what does this mean? Or this thing looks really scary. Is it actually scary? Or does it just kind of sound that way? You know, pick up the phone and call them. They'll be happy to give, go into more detail about their findings. And there are things that I've seen pop up on inspections that are, you know, quite ordinary and not, you know, not major, um, but they can look really scary on the inspection. So before you make any decisions about whether to move forward or not, you know, pick up the phone and call them and talk through some things so that you have a really good understanding of their findings. Yeah, absolutely. And a good inspector is going to, to, to know, you know, a decent amount of stuff in there, but if they don't, you know, they'll be like, Hey, this is Joe Bob. He, he knows how to do, you know, electric and stuff. So they, you know, a good inspector will have people that they've worked with before that they can recommend. So, but again, you'll want to call them and vet them as well. So if you want to further inspect an item. All right. So I think that's about it on home inspectors. So um, shopping around for insurance. So let's hit insurance and then we'll move on to the vendors that you'll need to help run your property after closing. I'm going to be honest. I have, that is a loop job in this house and I have never shopped for insurance in my life. I'm disclosing that. So I'll leave it to, <laughs> to you guys to answer this one. Oh, oh the insurance is really hard. Um, it's, it's been really difficult lately in the Tennessee side of the Smokies, just because of the recent fires and everything. So um, usually those, those also are, are coming from us as agents. We try to get the latest ones that are doing really good jobs of getting quotes. Um, a lot of people I've had, I've had some people here lately try to go to their local, um, insurance agent that does their primary home or their long-term rentals. And it just doesn't work. So it's always word of the mouth too on, on our Facebook groups or, you know, Google reviews. But most of the time it's like, we, we try to have a good running list that are working with us all the time on getting these insured. So yeah, that's about my suggestion. It's really hard. <laughs> well, and I would recommend, you know, calling a couple of different insur insurance agents, insurance brokers, um, which is going to be different from like your state farm agent where they are only going to have access to state farm products or, you know, travelers or farmers or, you know, progressive, whomever. Um, so understand the difference between someone like that, who's only representing one particular company and a insurance broker who has the ability to work with multiple different um, companies and find the policy that's going to be the best fit for you. Not all brokers work with, you know, Brokers don't work with every insurance company under the sun. So you may find that some brokers have access to products that others don't. Um, and that's why it's worth calling more than one. But again, you want someone who's really familiar with short-term rentals. There is specific insurance coverage that you are going to need in order to operate um, as a short-term rental manager and owner. Um, don't skimp on this. It costs a little more money. It's totally worth it. Do it. Just like your lender, interview a lot of people, see what they can offer you. And uh, fortunately, insurance is not horrible in North Carolina, Western North Carolina anyway. So recommendations are always good too. All right. Yeah, I just uh, I recently purchased a place in Florida and now that's a whole other Megillah there. But I talked to, I don't know, easily a dozen different um, insurance professionals trying to find, you know, the right policy and the right coverage for this. And, and yeah, it, it took a while. Don't uh, wait till the last minute. Yeah. Florida is a whole different bag of cats. Yeah. The upside is it should be much more straightforward in the, in the Smokies, whether Tennessee or North Carolina, because um, you're not dealing with things like flood policies and wind policies as a matter of course. 
All right. I think we've hit it on insurance. So let's talk about cleaners and handymen. I think we have established that the easiest way to find those vendors is through Facebook groups and other investor recommendations. So, but I think that where we could add a lot of value for people here is people don't necessarily know what questions to ask a cleaner and what to expect of a cleaner. So, or handyman. So what do you guys, handy person, uh, what do you guys uh, say about that? First off, I'd ask them, do you have experience with short-term rental cleaning or handiwork? You know, it's, it's important to know that up front because, you know, you get, uh, you know, Aunt Jane's, you know, house cleaner. She might not have ever cleaned short-term rentals, doesn't know how demanding like the schedule can be and how important it is to get in there and clean on a schedule. So, I mean, that's first and foremost what I'd ask them. Um, I've had a few recently that have used turnover BNB and they've found some pretty decent cleaners like that. So there are resources out there for you to find them. And again, you're, you know, as an agent, you know, I, I compile a list of cleaners that I've heard good things about or worked with and, you know, and the other one is, you know, you know, find out if they, you know, they supply their own stuff or if you need to supply their stuff or, you know, how, how their dynamic works and how they want to use, you know, how they would prefer to get paid and, you know, what outlet they would like for their calendar, how do you want to communicate with them? So this is all, uh, you know, get on the same page with your cleaner and your handy people. Yeah, I think a really important question to ask, I, I first and foremost, as Jay said, is do you work regularly with short-term rentals? Because that is a whole separate thing from cleaning someone's house. But the next question I would ask is what areas do, do you serve? You want to make sure that they work in the area where your property is going to be. Because especially in an area like Western North Carolina, you've got, you know, like Maggie Valley is 45 minutes from Asheville and Bryson City is what, probably 45 minutes from Maggie Valley. Yeah. So it's, you know, they keep, they are not covering that entire territory. So one of the first questions I would ask is, you know, hey, if you're buying in Bryson City, hey, do you work in Bryson City? Because that's going to weed out a lot of people right away. Then you're not wasting your time or theirs. In Asheville to Bryson City is like almost two hours. So like it, yeah. it's it's a big area. Another one is I would not engage a cleaner until you're doing your like after closing setup period. You don't want to bother them when you a don't have anything under contract. I see people sometimes who will say, "Oh, can I have some cleaner recommendations?" Uh, just want to start you know getting a hold of things. Don't don't waste their time. Um, because what you think you're going to do now before you do anything, what you end up doing could be completely different, completely different area, different size. And they're not going to be able to quote you until they're actually able to walk through the property. So some two bedrooms are going to be more expensive to clean than other two bedrooms just based on features of the property. So wait until you're closed. Don't also don't try and like schedule a bunch of appointments while you're still under contract. That's going to piss the seller off and it's going to make them less likely to negotiate with you when the time comes. Uh, So wait till you close to uh, start engaging cleaners and have them come walk through and look at things. Yeah. And a lot of the things that Jay was talking about earlier are really important. You know, you want to know what do they provide? You know, how are you going to communicate schedule? But I do want to emphasize the method is not what's important. It's more about just like being on the same page as far as logistics. Everyone's going to do it a little bit differently. Some cleaners are going to prefer owners to provide linens. Other cleaners are going to want to provide their own linens. You know, some don't care. They just need to know. You know, there's there's no wrong answer to that, generally speaking. It's just a matter of making sure that, you know, what they want and what you want, you know, are going to gel. 
Yeah, be on the same page and make sure you mesh well. All right. Any other vendors that we haven't talked about that we might need? Or I mean, I would say anybody else from my perspective that you might need like a more specialized vendor, like a roofer or an HVAC tech, your cleaner or handy person will know those people and you can kind of build it out from there. But anything else we need to cover before we close? Yeah. Um, up here, it's very popular to have, you know, you'll have your HVAC system, but a lot of, you know, they'll have gas logs or some gas. So you'll, you'll want to get a good gas company or a good relationship with a gas company. And I bring this up because, um, you know, there was an issue uh, on a house that I was looking at. We went under contract on it, but there's a gas leak at the tank. And, you know, one of the preconditions was, hey, you need to fix that gas leak. But these people are going to be delivering you propane and you're going to work with them on a regular basis. And you want to make sure that they are trustworthy and reliable to get you your propane and, uh, you know, keep your guests warm. Also a good one that I didn't think about. Yeah. And I don't this I expect it's similar in on the North Carolina side, but in Tennessee, with a propane supplier. So you've got a tank that's on site. It's not a natural gas. That's a utility. Um, and so there are a wide variety of propane companies. You have the option to lease the tank from that company. And then that company will be solely responsible for the maintenance of the tank and for keeping it full, or you can own your own tank. And then, um, and then you can work with whatever propane supplier you want to keep it full. There's pros and cons to each, but, uh, it, I think it's important to know if you, the property you're looking at has a tank that is leased or owned. And if it's leased, is that a company that you want to do business with? So the earlier you're able to find that out, the better. Yeah. And also on top of that, you know, like you want to balance out, uh, you know, who's going to be a good propane company also who has the better prices on propane. Cause I think it's like around $3 a gallon right now. Yeah. I know we'll often fluctuate seasonally. So in the winter, propane is more expensive in the summer. It is not. Yeah. And there's also kerosene too, but you're seeing less and less of those nowadays. I have not encountered kerosene. Oh, really? I say. No, me either. My, my rent, one of my rentals actually has a kerosene tank. That's how it heats the house. Really? I know. I don't really know anything about that, but I've heard about, I've got a friend who sells real estate in New Jersey and they have to look for those every time, like in their inspection. Yeah. They're, they're an older thing, you know, but uh, yeah. like I said, I'm starting to see less of those, but I knew they exist because I got one uh, and I, you know, I own the tank on that. I don't even think you can get a leased kerosene tank up here anymore. All right. Any other vendors or people that we've missed that that people might want to uh, remember to get a hold of when they're buying in this part of North Carolina? Um, yeah. Also, uh, you know, since uh, like the average size of a property up here is about an acre, you know, somebody to do your lawn maintenance, you know, landscaper. So they're, they're good to know somebody that's going to, you know, cut your grass and all that on a schedule, especially if you don't live in the state, you know, you obviously can't go mow your grass. So that's another good vendor to have after closing. Yeah, that's a great point. And depending on the way the property is laid out, you may have a larger yard, you may have almost none and it just be kind of weed whacking around the garage. I mean, around the uh, driveway, but you still want to have somebody who is responsible for keeping the area neat and, uh, you know, preventing brush from growing up against you know, I guess the property and all sorts of benefits to that. Yeah. And especially if you have a, like a really steep incline where you can only get a weed eater in there, you know, they'll have their own insurance and be liable for that. So, you know, it can be tricky to go, we eat the side of a mountain too. So pest control company would be another one. Oh yeah. Duh, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> Carpenter bees are bad up here. So yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and all kinds of critters, because I mean, it, cabin in the woods usually means, you know, spiders, bugs, bugs of all varieties. So um, yeah, get scheduled pest control treatment and um, yeah, lots of vendors for that in most areas. But, you know, again, can look for referrals and see who's going to work best for you. Yeah. And if there's a ter- termite bond on the house, I would recommend you taking that bond over. So, I mean, especially if it's in a problem area. Another one that my clients have been using a lot lately is like the emergency vendors, the ones that can come in and take care of the, you know, emergencies, whether that is a battery change or whatever it may be, plumbing issues. There's a lot of emergency vendors that um, everybody has kind of been interviewing as well here lately. Pipes burst. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even going to get started on that one. All right, guys. So uh, hopefully we've done a pretty good job of giving you an idea of the different vendors that you'll need from start to finish on your buying journey in Western North Carolina. If you want to buy a house with Jay, I hear he'll take you axe throwing. So uh, if you want to go axe throwing, buy a house with Jay, uh, you can get a hold of him if you email us at agents at the shop.com. Or if you have more questions, we have a an open office hours every Thursday at noon central. You just go to strquestions.com to sign up. Thanks, guys. Skull. <laughs>